All right, welcome back to another episode of Revealed Apologetics. I'm your host, Eli Ayala, and uh, today I have uh, another guest with me. But before I announce that guest, I want to uh, direct your attention to a previous episode that I had with Joshua Pillows, um, where we talk about some really interesting stuff. We talk about presuppositional apologetics um, broadly and generally, and then we narrow in the discussion um, with respect to responding to various objections, uh, one specific objection known as the Stroudian objection, which is um, understood by many people to be a very strong criticism of presuppositional um, argumentation, uh, transcendental argumentation, things like that. And that was a very, very um, practical discussion. I actually thought it would be more abstract and difficult for people to follow because, you know, what the heck is a Stroudian objection? Who the heck is Stroud? Um, and so I thought it was going to be a little bit more complicated, but we ended up having a great like down to earth sort of discussion where we unpacked some stuff that I think is very, very easy for folks to, to glean uh, some really helpful tips in terms of understanding the nature of presuppositional apologetics and the nature and uniqueness of uh, Van Til's transcendental approach. So um, you definitely want to check out that um, episode. Well, today I have Ricky Roldan on, who is uh, a gentleman that I've I've met um, through the Facebook page that he has, Reformed, uh, Reformed Presuppositional Apologetics, I think that's what it's called. And it's an awesome Facebook page where I've been, I've benefited greatly um, from Ricky and from other people who have been on there. Um, they're just um, a, a great group of guys where you can just learn and ask your questions. And there's so many different resources there. You definitely want to check that out. But when you're introduced to Ricky, you will learn very quickly why um, he's just someone that I had to have on. Now, here's the thing. You guys have heard me talk about transcendental reasoning, presuppositional apologetics, antithesis, neutrality, autonomy, all these philosophical, you know, uh, jargon, which is important by the way. Uh, but Ricky, um, is really good at taking those things cause he's very knowledgeable in those areas, but he, he's very good at taking it to the streets, kind of taking those concepts and really just speaking about them in a way that, um, the average Joe could understand. And that's what we need to do. We need to be able to bridge the gap between academia, academia and the, uh, the person on the street. Okay. And so I think Ricky is uh, an excellent um, uh, person to do that. He's a, a godly man, knows his scripture, and he has definitely been an encouragement to me um, over the, would I say years or one year? I don't know. Maybe I'll get him on. Let's see. Let, let's get Ricky on. There we go. How's it going, Ricky? What's up, man? <laughs> how, long, how long have we been, you know, Facebook message and, and phone calls? Uh, it's been a few years. Yeah, it's been a few years, right? I'm kind of yeah. thinking, I'm like, I don't remember when we first uh, first started. Well, you uh, first started calling me when you was kind of like, you know, the Van Til, Clark. And that's right. That's right. Kind of work through those things together. So okay, I, yeah. I was in the same boat, you know. So. That's right. That's right. And and um, most people who who um, study presuppositional apologetics, they they definitely run into the the Clarkian version and it, it becomes very interesting. And, you know, a lot of people sway back and forth, but when you get things all sorted out, you know that Van Til was right. And that's the way to go. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, so why don't you tell folks a little bit about yourself? Perhaps something that I, I didn't mention, maybe some, a little bit of background um, information, and then we'll jump right into our discussion. Sure. Uh, so basically, you know, I was raised in a Christian home. My father mm -hmm. was a a minister, 
Um, and hold on, I got this little, some kind of, all right. Something popped in my window. So I was raising a Christian. Again, in the name of Jesus. Just yes. Right. You, you're, bro, you're supposed to rub. <laughs> you're supposed to rub the oil on the four corners of your screen, bro, so that doesn't happen. You don't get no viruses. <laughs> all right. Well, Perfect. All right. All right. Good, good. Go for it. So, um, yeah. So basically, my father was a, a minister since I was, since I can remember. Mm -hmm. He started off as a, um, a Pentecostal minister in my, my young elementary years. Uh, long story short, you know, he became reformed, uh, part of the PCA when I was little. Okay. So I was a preacher's kid. He was studying, working full time and studying to be a minister, to be ordained in the PCA at the same time. So, um, and from there, you know, I did my own thing. I, I was rebellious, you know, I ran the, the streets and... I uh, wanted to, to rather, you know, hang out with my buddies and do stupid stuff. So sure. one of those things, you know, the preacher's kid, they say, oh, they're the worst. <laughs> so it's like, well, in my case, yeah. But there's always that lingering, you know, teaching that they always sure. uh, doing little devotionals at the house and everything. So that always stuck in my head. But. I finally became Christian around when I was 20 okay. years old. And, um, well, I say that that's when I know I made that conscious decision to say, hey, man, I got to pump the brakes and I have to um, put my life in the, in the hands of, of Christ. Hmm. It was one night I was reading the book of Romans. It's funny because I was. I only went to the Bible because I met some guys at a at a concert. Okay, a concert. They invited me. Some friends from a local area, which later I became part of their group, Remnant Militia, a Christian hip hop. But um, they were talking about the rapture and all this stuff, and and I knew, being in uh, the PCA church, that you know, we were not dispensational or whatever. Sure. So I was like, oh yeah. Mind you, I didn't care, but I was like, you know what? Give me a week, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna prove you guys wrong. Right. So here I am, thug off the street, opening the Bibles, and, and I'm going, <laughs> you know, going to Revelation. Revelation was taking me a lot to Romans. Okay. So I'm reading Romans, and you know all the stuff about you know like you know Romans. Three, four, five, just kept going and going. And I was like, man, I I am a wretched sinner. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the night I broke down and I and I gave my heart to the Lord. And and um from there I started wanting to um preach the gospel to my buddies in the street, you know, my hangout, the corner where you know we did our thing over there and they thought I was nuts, you know, because one sure. day to the nets, you know, they're like, what, what are you smoking? Let me get some of that, man. I'm like, nah, man, I'm <laughs> being for real. <laughs> and uh, from there, you know, just kept studying. Um, and in about 1996, I started the 
uh, Urban Reform Ministries. Okay. And my thought process was this, man, because, you know, being growing up in a reformed church, you hear a lot of, you know, academic terminology and theology, listening to my dad teach and him giving me R.C. Sproul videos. And and in my mind, like, you know, the, the person in our culture is not going to run over to a Christian bookstore and pick up Van Til, you know, Gordon Clark or R.C. Sproul or you know, Lorraine Bettner, Burkhoff, or Hodge, and, you know, Bavink, and they're like, they're not going to do that. I'm glad, though, these days things have changed. Things have progressed where we're able to now to, to have these things. Even the urban culture is wanting to, to dive into these things. Sure. And I give that credit to, of course, God, the Holy Spirit, but through using the Christian hip-hop music throughout the years mm-hmm. calvinist rappers and coming out and talking about these words and you know election and predestination and what is this limited atonement what's going on with that and it caused people to to dive into that and there's been a a how you say a, an awakening within the urban culture sure for reform theology which I, I find to be you know a great thing but when I was doing it, you know, I was like the only person in the urban culture uh, doing reform stuff, you know, reform in my lyrics and and in the concerts and the preaching and the debating at concerts and, and things like that. And my thought was that, that I wanted to take the heavy language, the terminology, learn it, absorb it. Because when I used to study in the beginning, I had a, the Bible, I had a dictionary, a thesaurus, a Bible dictionary, you know, I had all these books out to make sure I knew what these words meant. And sure. I thank God for R.C. Sproul because I, I was a ligonier junkie. <laughs> I still am, you know. Well, real quick, did you did you pick up the uh, R.C. Sproul, The Life? There's like a biography that just came out. I did. Really I did. Good. Yeah, right. I, yeah. Was, I, I was waiting for that to come out. Yeah. But uh, what I appreciate about Sproul's books is that he would have certain words highlighted throughout the book. Sure. And you could go to the back of the book and he tells you what all these words meant. And that was super helpful for mm-hmm. me in my in my walk and in my study in the Reformed faith. So my thing was I wanted to absorb it, learn it, and then bring it to the urban community and teach it in a way what we can understand. Now, I don't mean by that, that the urban culture or the urban citizens, as I call it, like people like us is that, oh, we're just dumb. We don't know these words and we don't know how to read. That's not what I'm getting at. But my point is getting them interested in wanting to learn these things. Mm. You know, how, how does that relate to me? How does that relate to my everyday life and my struggles in the urban community? You know, things like that. So, uh, you know, I brought that up to my session in the PCA. They loved it. They were like, yo, you know, this is part of, you know, this needs to be done. Sure. So long story short, I started the Urban Reform Ministries. 
doing blogs and before all this great uh, technology that's happening now, all we had was uh, websites with chat rooms. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the day, you know. <laughs> I was always on um, the Puritan board. Yes. Okay. I was always on the Puritan board talking to, uh, you know, elders and ministers and professors. And I learned a lot from them going back and forth and asking questions. To this day, I still ask questions. Um, so basically, that that's what my heart is, is to bring uh, the gospel, first and foremost, uh, to the urban context and bringing Reformed theology to the urban context. Mm -hmm teaching the words, but also giving the definitions and just explaining it in a way easy to understand, you know? That's why I'm, I'm, I'm I, you see me on online and I'll do those things. I'll, might be a small paragraph. Mm -hmm. you know, some guys be like, man, you, you know, you throw everything into two sentences. I said, well, yeah, well, that's, that's what I'm trying to do. Sure. You know, it's not like I'm being lazy. <laughs> I'm trying to bring it condense it down to where it's uh, understandable, but also it gets the point across. Right. You know what I'm saying? Well, I, I've been I, doing that ever since, man. Started the Reform Presupposition Apologetics page. Sure. Uh, that's been growing. People have been learning, and I'm just doing my thing, man. That's all. Well, definitely. People should definitely check out the podcast and uh, really the Facebook page. There's just so much there. Even in the files section, when I finally learned what the yeah, there you go. See, your logo is cooler than mine. My goodness, it's like dang, bro. Shout out to our uh, Arturo Hurtado. Okay, he made it for me. All right, very good. Yeah, Redeem, Redeem Project Radio looks, looks awesome, man. Um, yeah, I just I uh, resonated very much with something you just said when, when I had um, interacted a little bit with uh, Dr. John Frame on Facebook. And no, we're not we're not buddy buddy. I just every now and then I'll. He, he doesn't seem too happy. He's retired and, and seems bothered when people reach out to him. That's true. <laughs> I've had conversations with him too. He's like, dude. He'll go, I don't want to go into a big back and forth, but let me answer your question. And then he'll give me like two paragraphs and he goes, there you go. You did it. I, I already wrote more than I wanted to. <laughs> and I got a little bit, a little nugget out of him where I was like, all right, I'm not going to ask you. So I won't, I won't bother him until next year. We'll see. Well, you have to, you have to strategically, you know, uh, uh, bother him at one point and then wait a couple of months and then bother him again. Uh, but he said, he said one of the things that he wished that presuppositional has got better at is that when we do presuppositional apologetics, we don't always have to bring the unbeliever through the history of epistemology to make our point. And that really is the issue of simplifying. I think mm -hmm. a lot of presuppositionalists have um, gotten their steady diet of Bonson videos and Bonson lectures. And those things are super important in laying that foundation. But I think we need to do a better job in learning how to take off the training wheels of Bonson's language and contextualize the concepts where, where we are. Now, would you think, would you, would you say that when you became a Christian that, that, um, because I know you you read a lot of Van Til, Bonson, you listened to the lectures and things like that. How quickly did you find the necessity to contextualize these lofty concepts that you were learning in the specific context that you found yourself in? Yeah, well, listening to them, you know, examples will pop up in my head. Mm -hmm. And I'll just write them down. And, you know, how do I simplify that? How do I take sure. that in? 
and simplify it to where it can be understood by the layman, you know, and we're all pretty much laymen who don't have any, you know, bunch of degrees on our walls, you know, things like that. Sure. But um, uh, yeah, it's pretty much it. I would I would think about what they're saying. Sometimes I'll rewind it, listen to it again, rewind it, listen to it again, many times over. Sure. <laughs> when I'm reading, I'll read it again. If I don't understand it, I go back on try to read it slowly and get the the picture and then then condensed it you know because sometimes as you know when you're reading books theology books they tend to and i don't mean this in a mean way but it's just the nature of academia you know that they they beat around the bush you know they they'll start they'll they'll make the point here in the first paragraph to say okay this is the 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 main topic of the chapter and then and then at the end it's the conclusion but there's a lot of there's a lot of things in the middle that you know it's it's filler you have to sell books i mean you gotta gotta sell content you know right right it does not exist yeah 200 pages you know worth of stuff (laughs) it just says yeah a book pages are blank a pamphlet yes Uh, (laughs) so you know just doing things like that um understanding words looking it up and I, that's why i tell people and i tell it to my son mm-hmm. who's getting into all this sometimes it's like i don't you know these all these words i said remember you you use you know the dictionary and once you understand the word now you can understand what how it's being used in the context of what it what they're talking about that's very important mm-hmm. you know definitions are are vital to understanding context of what somebody's trying to say and that's pretty much it man um i believe that the lord has called me to do this um because sometimes let's be real sometimes there's a struggle you want to give up you're like ah man you know this is that but then there's that that tug that said no you got to keep going you got to keep going you got to keep going you got to keep doing this and may the lord use it how he wishes whether it reaches a few, a lot, one, two, it's it's uh, there's a reason why you know God is using these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, now, when people get into apologetics, it can be very intimidating um, for a lot of people because of the vocabulary, because of the kinds of people who do it, um, like very educated people, things like that. I remember you said something to me a while back, a couple of years ago, I think, and you said. Um, to be careful of the temptation of comparing yourself with people who are learned in the eyes of the world. And you said something something to that effect. Mm-hmm. And it stuck with me. I don't, I, mean, I don't know if you might not remember you said that, but um, how do people overcome, like someone from an urban context that you don't have the fancy terminology. I mean, someone's really like street, uh, but they love the Lord and they want to defend the gospel. Like, how does someone overcome once they're exposed to this world of apologetics? How do they overcome that intimidation factor of, of comparing themselves with other people? Uh, well, I can only um, give it a, a, an example from my experience. Okay, how I, I dealt with it is just just always remembering the beginning, remembering what i'm doing remembering why i'm why why i'm doing this 
in the first place. Sure. There is that temptation to, uh, and it happens a lot. And this is no knock. I don't want to step on nobody's toes, but I've had friends in the in, in the urban context, and they just kind of like just leave it to the side. They leave it, and now they're more, you know, they're they're different. I get it. Listen, to each his own. But there's that temptation to, you know, not want to deal with the urban community. It's too hard. You know, it's just this is this too hard stuff. And, you know, people in, in this culture are hard headed. You know, <laughs> you got to be more aggressive. And, and it's true. It, it's a different people think that this is just a bunch of guys who wear baggy pants, big shirts and, <laughs> listen, and listen to rap music. No, there's a lot more to it than that. Sure. There, there's an identity. There's a. A culture within it's a subculture within the American culture that actually, and what I like about it is that it brings all races and nations together into one culture, right? I'm Latino, I got a Puerto Rican culture, you know, within the American culture. Um, that includes the the hip hop community, but within the hip hop communities, black, white, Asian. European, African. I've gotten emails from Australia, South Africa, uh, Russia, Israel. You know, when when I was heavily into the Christian hip hop scene, and I said, "Man, look look how beautiful that is! That it just unites. Now we can just get them all, you know, to understand that, you know, bring them into the to the Christian arena of hip hop." You know, so they can have uh, music that is more edifying to their minds and to their soul and to the heart. You know, so um, w- the the urban Christian community. It's hard because there's a lot of a lot of things we have to deal with, right? You got to deal with all kinds of cults. False religions, mysticism, that's all in, engulfed within the urban community. Mm-hmm. You know, so apologetics is super important in our um, ministry because there's a lot of different, um, you know, I say punches. You got to know how to bob and weave and block this because they're coming from all over the place. Sure. You know, it's now, not just, you know, how do we do with Islam and yeah, sure. or, or, or Mormonism? And it's it's stuff that may, don't even exist anymore. That's been dying out, mm-hmm. you know, that I was dealing with when I was younger, you know, younger in the faith. Sure. sure. Now, now, um, how has the Bible informed your apologetic and how you engage people in the context that you're in? So how, how mm-hmm. do you contextualize? your apologetic and your knowledge of the Bible to the specific context that you're in. Cause I, because again, the, uh, when we speak of presuppositional apologetics, I mean, that's a big old fancy terminology, but we really believe it's, it's biblical apologetics. Mm-hmm. How do you meld those things together and apply it in your specific context? Well, depending on who I'm speaking to, um, okay. depending on what I'm discussing with who, what are they into? I kind of find out, what is their views? You know, they're Christian, not Christian, or they're in a, in a sub-Christian category, like in a cult or mm. um, a false religion. Or, 
atheism and Gnosticism. It just depends. So, so, so you're, you're chilling with a guy and he's like, yo, Ricky, man, I don't trust that Bible stuff, you know, <laughs> written by a bunch of white people who trying to oppress us, you know, like how do you deal with like, because yeah, yeah. granted within the urban community, it's not people are dumb. They're people who are smart. They just don't articulate it because of just where they are. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like people ask, well, they're scared to ignorant questions, informed mm -hmm. questions, questions where it's, it's. You need to be able to like think on your feet. Like if you're just chilling with a dude and the guy's like, yo, I don't, you know, they come up with the, let's take the, the wacky, uh, the, the wacky example. Okay, man, the Bible is written by, you know, a bunch of white people who are trying to hold us down. That's why I can't believe the Bible. How do you engage some, uh, someone who says something like that? Yeah. <laughs> well, first of all, I correct them on their world history <laughs> okay. on the history of Christianity. Explain to them that it's, you know, it's not written by a bunch of white people. You know, but um, well, that Christianity is a white man's religion and yeah. things like that. Kind of remind them of all the you know Africans and and uh, the early church Christians, where uh, many were haven't even seen a white person before. You know, <laughs> and you know in Africa and Egypt and things like that. So I kind of just I'll throw that in there real quick to make them like go look that up. But then I'll just get into the issue about the Bible. You said the Bible. That I'll explain to them what inspiration means. I'll explain to them that, you know, yes, it's written by men, but it's uh, ultimately inspired by the Holy Spirit. What does inspired mean? Um, you know, things like that. And then. How do you know that, bro? How do you yeah. know? Yes. Right. As a bunch of white preachers told you. You see what I'm saying? Like that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> let's, let's do a little role play and interact with some of that because i think in my i mean i'm i don't do apologetics a lot in an urban context but i have interacted with people from that context and so you'll get stuff that's like a curveball like you're like how the heck am i i mean that's a random you know uh well, i'll give you a good example of one um that's kind of not around anymore as much okay but in the 90s um which by the way you know, I, the urban context thing, I kind of say, well, anybody who's in the urban community, whether you're skate rats or uh, and hip hop or heavy metal and these sub genres or even academic world, because I know I tell people I, I'm bilingual. I know how to speak to the academics and I can speak to, you know, those speak academic. You could you mix know, it together. <laughs> I can, you know, sit there and um, use the big words when I have to, when I'm dealing with people, especially my denomination. And they're like, I didn't know you knew that. They're like, ah, there you go. <laughs> so, um, but one, this religion is called Holy Tabernacle Ministries. Okay. And it was a subset of the 5% Nation of Islam which I dealt with a lot in the 90s. I've gotten to debates with them on the street when they're hand, in, in winter and where I live in, in Florida. I used to go on the weekends and preach the gospel on the street to, to whoever who would listen. But in my way were the five percenters who would come, you know, with the bow ties and their bean pies and their newspaper, the last trumpet, 
you know, the, the Islamic 5% newspaper or Farrakhan and things like that. And we will get into debates and, and even fighting for people's attention. That's mm -hmm. how rough it is to the point where you have to watch your back because mind you, I'm in, I'm in the hood. So you gotta be careful. Uh, so Holy Tabernacle Ministries uh, will claim that we are reptilians. reptilians. Mind you, this is a serious religion. Wait, did you say reptilians? Reptilians in human form, right? That's gangster right there, bro. That's, 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 that's that crazy stuff, dude. So okay. we are originally, according to this uh, religion. Okay. Uh, which again, with many five percenters were mixed within this, mm -hmm. that we're actually from the planet Titan and that we are reptilians in human form. And seven at the in the end, God will return in a spaceship, seven spaceships, and will come and take us back to planet planet Titan, which is the real heavens. So I had to deal with people like that on the street, online, and in, in you know, in my around my uh my circle. And one time I went to this guy knew me. He came up to me while I was there on the weekend, mm -hmm. you know, talking about Christ and telling them how Islam was garbage, and that's the way we had to talk. Listen, let me let me tell you something, brother. Within the hood, ain't no time for all this watered down, beat around the bush, nicey, nicey, politically correct evangelism. We got no time for that. Uh, because the, the Muslims are ripping apart Christianity with no shame. So, and not that you wanna you wanna stoop to a level. But you have to be aggressive, and now they will drown you out. They will, they would, you know, you know, vocab alone. I'm sure he can relate to what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. uh, so, some a guy came up to me I knew in school. He was like, "Listen, Rick, um, my teacher is going to prove that Jesus never resurrected." Now, these were regular five percenters, okay, but some of them were into the Holy Tabernacle Ministries too, with their little pamphlets. So they invited me. They wanted me to come because they wanted to prove to me that Jesus never resurrected using Paul in Corinthians 15. Oh, that's interesting. That's okay. like, a, it's like <laughs> look, I'm going to show you a magic trick. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. That's a very okay. weird place to disprove the resurrection, but okay. In my head, I'm like, okay. So I show up a few days later, is at the person's house, the teacher's house, and I sit there and they're passing out their, you know, passed out Bible. I, said, I have my own Bible. I had the Reformation Study Bible okay. back then when it first came out. And you're going through 15. So he goes to that one verse where it says, if Christ is not raised, this is all in vain. So he did it. He just went to one verse and said, see, even the Christian's hero, the Apostle Paul, said that Jesus never resurrected, that the Christianity is in vain, and yada, yada, yada. He went on and on, and the guys were like, oh, 
you know, I could see them kind of looking at me and I'm sitting there. <laughs> it's like 10 of them all around me. I'm the only Christian there. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and, and I'm like, you know, can I go? Can I respond to that? You got to be respectful. I'm in their house. You know, I'm not trying to be crazy. So I say, yeah, go ahead. Go. And I went, got up with the Bible and I said, okay, let's read from verse one. Mm-hmm. So I read the whole context. And I showed where he was being, you know, sarcastic when he was saying that. And that his point is that Jesus did raise from the grave. And I was, you know, I showed him that in the context that Jesus is the first fruits and we will be raised. And I started preaching the gospel and the guy got up, the owner of the house, I was te- the teacher, okay. went, got a nine millimeter and put it to my head while I'm talking. So he, he takes the nine millimeter, cocks it, puts it to my head. And I'm like, okay. He's like, I should just, I should just make you submit to Allah or kill you here on the spot. Mm-hmm. And I tell you some, this, I was overwhelmed with, I don't even know how to explain it beyond. I know it was the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. but it was this confidence of courage just came. I was like, pull the trigger. Because I'm not submitting to nobody but Christ wow. in front of the people. They're like, and my one of my the friend who invited me was kind of trying to, hey man, calm down. What are you doing? He felt embarrassed sure. because I proved them wrong, just reading the, the context of the verse. And he shoved me out the door. He's all right. He put the gun down and he kicked me out the door and shoved me. I fell on the ground and got in my car. And I'm driving and realizing what just happened. I was like, I was driving home. I had to pull over because <laughs> that courage and confidence <laughs> went away. It like lifted. Like, oh my goodness. I just, yeah. I was like, all oh, like this. Like, oh, uh, like this. oh my goodness. That's I, said, I went and told my you know, wife, my parents, like, yo, this just happened to me. They were like, no, don't go over there no more. <laughs> no, don't do that no more. You're going to get killed. I said, I can't. I can't stop. I'm not, I'm not scared of them. So that's that's an example of apologetics and polemics within a urban context like that. How do you do apologetics with a gun to your head? That's a, that's a technique I don't think. Oh, wait. Actually, Bonson did, Bonson did uh, teach us how to uh, avoid the gunshot, if you remember. I can, teach, I can teach you how to dodge bullets. You know, I can teach you to move. I don't know if you remember that in his lecture. I can teach you to yeah. shift to the side. Or I can teach you how to take the gun out of the person's hand. Unfortunately, he was using it metaphorically, so I don't know if that would have worked. But <laughs> how, do you, how do you press up a guy with a gun to your head? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, you know, when 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 I first started doing the actual apologetics, okay, uh, within I wasn't priest up at the time. Okay. I was very classical. I was Ligonier. I was, you know, R.C. Spro, John Gersoner. There were my two guys. You know, John Gersoner was R.C. Spro's mentor. Right. And he had videos I would watch on classical apologetics. And that's the method I would use. It, and I wish I knew what I knew now <laughs> back then. Because when you're online dealing with atheists and false religions, it's like I, I, I used to get frustrated a lot because here I am trying to get the person to at least 
understand that there's a higher being, you know, by using the cosmological argument, uh, you know, the resurrection evidence, all these things. Uh, but I always found that they had something to say about it. <laughs> they always, they always said, well, that, you know, that doesn't prove there's a God and this and that. And then finally, when I started understanding years later, I'm talking about five, six, seven, even 10 years later, I'm starting to hear about what this presupposition is through uh, Gordon Clark. And so a few guys that I knew were Clarkians, you know, like Clarkians. What is that? So yeah, it's Dr. Clark. I said, oh, I know Dr. Clark. The first one of the first books I've read was what do Presbyterians believe? And it was his commentary on the Westminster Confession of Faith. And I will study that like I read that book like 10 times, you know. I say, yeah, no, but I didn't hear of this scripturalism and Clarkianism, presuppositionalism. I was like, what in the world is that? Hmm. And they were explaining it to me, and I was okay, that makes sense. Then I started to realize, wait a minute, I'm doing apologetics without using my sword. You know, I have a sword that God gave me to use and to yield. And here I am putting it down and my shield of faith because I have to be neutral to talk to the atheist because then he's, that's the mentality I had. He's not going to talk to me if I start with God, if I start with the Bible, because I'm just, I'm using what I'm supposed to prove. Right. So we're like, man, that's just circular, you know? And that's the mentality I had. Until I started to realize it's not all even about that. It's about being faithful to that verse that tells me, you know, give a reason for the faith that is in you. Not in a faith that's general first. Then you can get to the faith that's in you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. That's backwards. I start. I have to start. And, and mind you, I didn't understand the starting points and proximate point. I didn't. I still wasn't there yet. But I, but but what hit me in my head reading the, that scripture was, I'm not defending the God of the Bible. Mm -hmm. I'm defending a general deity to eventually get to the God of the Bible. Then, as I started reading, um, Clark. Became a Clarkian for many years. And that was my axiom. My axiom is the Bible is the word of God written. And I would use that axiom. And the atheist, oh, but you can't use the Bible. No, wait a minute. That's my axiom. Your axiom is yours. And you say you don't have to justify it. Well, my axiom is the Bible is God's word written. And I, I will argue from it. Things like that, right? Um. But then <laughs> I started reading, uh, started understanding Bonson and asking questions a lot to, to Cy. You know, I would bother Cy every day. What about this? What about that? What about that? He would, he would direct me to Bonson books and things like that. And I saw this Jeff Durbin guy. I'm like, who's just Jeff Durbin? I'm looking him up. He was a Ninja Turtle and... <laughs> Mortal Kombat, and I'm like, oh man, that sounds like a cool guy. Said, who's this Jeff? Hey, who's this? He was a ninja turtle, ninja guy. Yeah, <laughs> started watching his debates, his street evangelism. I was like, man, it's just started to hit home, sure, you know. 
And when I started reading more of Bonson, Van Til, Dr. Laws, like, wait a minute. Um, and this is not a, I'm not going to turn this into a critique to Clarkianism. Sure. I'm, just, I'm just trying to tell you my transition. When I understood, wait a minute, yes, the Bible is God's word written, but I had to, I had to eventually conclude that. I had to come to that acknowledgement. And how did I do that? Well, by reading the God's word. Sure. How do I know the Bible is God's word written? Because God said that the Bible is his word written. And, as a, and I used to ask the clerk, and wait a minute, how do you justify that? Oh, we don't have to. It's an axiom. But you had to come to that conclusion. Yeah, but that's, uh, then they go off on a tangent. Like, no, something ain't right. Then I started understanding presuppositions and that the God of Scripture is self-authentic. You know, he is, and I knew that already because of Reformed theology, but it just didn't, it didn't click until I started understanding presuppositional from the Vantillian um, view and Bonson, the understanding that God is supreme and he uh, is self-justifying mm. and his word. I said, so that's, because Clarkians like to say, well, whatever your justification is, that becomes your ultimate authority. Right. That's why we have to use axioms. So, well, the difference is that my starting point is also my justification. So th there is no infinite regress of ultimate justifications right. because the God of Scripture is my justification. Right. Nor is it a fideistic starting point. Right. Nor is it fideistic because there's, a, there's an objective. I believe this, that, that, you know, the transcendental argument is not only a subjective truth for Christians because we affirm the word of God as the inspired, infallible word of God that's self-attesting, self-authenticating, but also, right, that it's God's living word. Mm. <laughs> you know, it doesn't come back void. You see, one of the things that attracted me to the presuppositional approach is, I mean... I I say this and you still get pushed back when I, when I use the presuppositional approach in conversation, not so much in a debate because you, you are trying to be more formal and you want to be at that academic level and you, you know, you use the terminology and stuff like that. It just seems to me to be so honoring and glorifying the magnificence of God as the foundation. And you say that to other Christians and then you're, and then you're critiqued because of your your apparent piety. It's like, oh, well, the presuppositionalists, they just want to, they sound very pious, but it's still yeah. irrational. Sounds real like, holy. Yeah. And it's like, well, if, if, if I, if I defend the faith in such a way that just puts Christ at the center, it's empty, but you're just trying to be pious. Now, the better way is this more rational way, which almost never mentions Jesus, which <laughs> never mentions the Bible. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, like, I get what you're saying. I see your arguments. I, I don't think they're good because of the whole, I think the whole worldview issue, people just don't really take that seriously in the other camps, in my opinion. Um, but no, no Jesus, no Bible. Everything seems to be to the side. You know, I think there was, there was just a show. I, I don't remember. I think you, you made a comment where the person who was um, interviewing uh, James Anderson, they said, well, we don't really do that much theology on this channel. 
<laughs> I was like, hey, you're an apologetics channel. Like, what the heck, bro? I mean, like, what are you defending if not like Christ the truths of Christian theology? It, ju it just seems that there is this complete disconnect between like scripture and then you have like this philosophy over here. And, and yes, I know people say, well, you need philosophy. Yes, I know that discussion. But there seems to be a clear demarcation in some of these other camps, philosophy, 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 and then we get to Jesus. And what I've, what I've benefited so greatly from with the presuppositional approach is how it just beautifully marries the two together. And that the philosophy of Christianity flows out of the very soil of the word of God itself. So that the very language we use, I think is more reflective of God honoring language in the manner we defend, as opposed to speaking about God in the abstract, in the general, in the ambiguous, in the non-Christians can use those same arguments too. And there's really no difference between the two. It just, I don't know. It seems, I mean, it seems bit more biblical in my opinion. Um, yeah. And that's, what, and that's like, I, like I was saying earlier, that's one of the uh, main things that hit me was that this, this apology, this apologetic honors Christ. Yes. Now, when I say that, I know people get offended. When we say that the classical guys, my reform brothers get offended. What do you mean? What do you mean? Don't, I'm not honoring Christ. I'm like, right. I know you want to, your heart's there, right. but you're, you're being inconsistent within your approach. Mm -hmm. You know, we're sola scriptura, except when we come to apologetics and philosophy. That's no, right. and, and that's what that's what eventually hit me was the transcendental argument. That's what brought me to the presuppositionism. When it when it clicked, I said, "This is blowing my mind." Because <laughs> I was like, "Wait a minute!" So that's why it's not only subjective because we believe, but it's also an objective, logical proof. Since without starting with the God of Scripture, who He is, His attributes, His omniscience. His sovereignty, his ordination, his eternal decrees. Couldn't know anything. Sure. Couldn't prove anything. And that's the what I tell guys is, yeah, you want to talk about reason, rationality, argumentation, syllogisms. I get it. That's all good and fine. But the point is that without the God of Scripture... You cannot ultimately justify the use of those things in the first place. Right. And when that hit me, I was like, whoa, man. <laughs> I mean, I was very taken of the aggressive, the aggressive nature of presuppositional policy. I mean, think about it. The presuppositional approach is an all or nothing approach. It, it really, I think, in, in a way that the evidentialist and the classical classicalists can't do, it draws this really defining line in the sand where it's Christ or absurdity. <laughs> like that right. like, just sounds so, I mean, just when you read the Bible, it's like, yeah, like I, I get it. It's like, you know, uh, Jesus says you're either with me or you're against me. If you're not gathering with me, you know, you scatter. It, it just, I don't know. It just, even those principles that we draw from the method just seem to be so entrenched with biblical truth, I think. Right. And, and that's what a lot of people who, reject presuppositionalism and transcendental argument mm -hmm. fail to understand is that the secular philosophy right secular 
since the beginning of time, philosophy was always about knowledge, wisdom, uh, rationality, reasoning, or sense perception, all these topics that they want to tackle and have different categories for, and epistemology, ontology, metaphysics, all these things, right? And that's what the beauty of the transcendental argument of presuppositionalism is. Hey, guys, hey, sh- sh- without God, you can't even do that. Hmm. You can't even account for doing those things, for having philosophy, for doing science, for, for using your brain to think, for reasoning, for seeing, for hearing, for tasting, for, for reality as a whole. That without first, you know, uh, starting with the ontological God of Scripture, the Trinity, it's the only position philosophy, Christian philosophy, that can account for these things, right? So it's like, so it's impossible mm-hmm. that it's not true. <laughs> so it's, that's what I know really people are like, what, what do you mean it's impossible, it's not true? Wait a minute, are you trying to tell me you just, you just believe what God says in his word and you're just... It, you see, it's just like, it's like, well, that's very, yeah. I, I've had unbelievers say this to me, even in mm-hmm. like a debate. I don't remember who I was debating. It was, I think it was the, that, that gentleman, um, Eric, Eric Murphy. He's like, you know, because I think I said something like, I, I don't believe I could be wrong about Christianity. He's like, you don't, you don't see how that that's arrogant. I'm like, no, <laughs> like I don't, it's like, I believe God. Like <laughs> I, yeah. I really do. Like I genuinely do. This is not like a trick. I'm not trying to set up as a tricky argument that you can't, I believe God. And my apologetic flows out of my trust in his word. And my apologetic is an application of those principles. I mean, it's, it, we can get rid of the presuppositional um, vocabulary, you know, uh, that he's the necessary. Pre- Basically, what we're just saying is in his light, we see light. God as creator is the foundation of all things. He gives meaning to everything. He defines everything. I'm made in his image. Everything is revelatory of God. That means I, as an image bearer of God, is a revelation of God, and I'm in constant contact with him every waking moment of my life. That's basically what we're saying. If we remove uh, the vocabulary of the apologetics literature, we're basically just grabbing from these, I think, these biblically grounded truths, whether explicitly stated or logically deduced from biblical truths. And I think that's so important. When I study, uh, and again, this is this is just my opinion in this area, and I and I understand that's not always the case. But when I study classical apologetics and evidential apologetics, I need to take a break and read my Bible because I feel so detached. Hmm. But when I study presuppositional apologetics, the the kind that's not focusing on a specific philosophical aspect, I feel both intellectually equipped, spiritually edified, and biblically grounded. And it seems to me, just in my own opinion, that a study of apologetics should be, if it's biblical, it should also be enriching your spirit, not just your mind. And I think that presuppositional uh, apologetics, I think, does that in a way that some of the other um, methods I don't think do as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 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 I'm with you on that, man. You know the, you know, using t- using the transcendental argument to just pull from one precondition intelligibility 
laws of logic. Okay, now I'm going to take the laws of logic. Now I'm going to argue transcendentally for, you know, laws of logic, therefore God. Mm. You know, I get it. But in my opinion, that still misses the point. Because we're not talking about just the laws of logic. It's the whole of God's universe mm. and reality in general. It's right. everything. Sure, can you argue or, or or defend you know God using the laws of logic with somebody who brings it up sure but I want to get to the heart of the matter that's another thing you'll you'll realize about me I, I want to get to the meat quick you know I want to get to the heart of the issue immediately <laughs> I could just picture you know? are you an internalist or an externalist you need to repent <laughs> it's like I don't care. I don't care if I'm an internal lecture. You need Jesus. Just cut right to the chase, bro. Some people like to hear their own voice and jump into these discussions, and they, yeah. it's, it's kind of like an intellectual flexing of their muscles. Like, nah, you need Jesus. You're going to hell, whether you're internalist or externalist. <laughs> and I thought, well, look, so listen, brother. Without Jesus, you don't even, you can't even know what internalist externalism is in the first place. That's right. That's Again, right. you keep throwing these words out. And I'm trying to tell you that, you know, it's only God's revelation that can justify you using language, sure. using words, you know. And the, the important thing to to make them realize is that they make these claims of subjectivity in knowledge, subjectivity in morality and truth, but they don't live that way. When they're getting mad at me, and calling my views false, not true, you're confused. All of that <laughs> presupposes my worldview, not yours. You can't tell me I'm wrong when you don't even claim that there is any wrong or right or true or false. You know, all those things presuppose certainty, for one thing. And absolute truth, absolute knowledge, and at least some things we know, you know, and that's my main complaint with people is they have allowed themselves, and again, I don't mean to be offensive, this is my opinion, is that they're way too engulfed in secular philosophy, that they've They've adopted secular philosophy's definitions and their concepts. Then adopting, taking their, the, the unbelieving world to secular world's definition and concepts. Now we're trying to apply these things in Christianity when the Bible says the opposite about those definitions mm -hmm. and concepts. See, for example, in the secular realm, they they say that, that, you know, knowledge is impossible. Ultimately, you know, truth is whatever you make it, whatever you believe. And all you can't, these things you can't have certainty that you'll have like view that's that's held by a lot of people, this view called fallibilism. Mm -hmm. So they, they would say, like, oh, you can't be certain. You know, certainty is not a requirement for for knowledge or whatever. And so I totally reject that. Yeah. I reject. I don't care if the dude has six hundred doctor degrees <laughs> on epistemology. 
if they're t- if they're sitting there with a straight face telling me that certainty is not required for knowledge i'm like what well, that doesn't even make sense yeah so then it's not real knowledge then then the knowledge is just information that you have in your brain whether it's true or not true if you know it or not it's just there but I don't think the Bible, when it in, in the Proverbs, in the book of Psalms, uh in Ecclesiastes, uh in the New Testament, when when the scriptures is talking about knowledge, it's talking about you know something you can know that you truly know with certainty. That what you believe and uh, uh you believe actually corresponds. To what is actually the case. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like, how can you say I could be wrong, but still the thing that I claim to know it's knowledge, although I could be wrong. That makes that I I have difficulty. I I agree with Dr. Clark on this issue. I'm not sure. I haven't really gone to, to dive into what Van Til and Bonsen has specifically said about this issue, but from reading them, I think I can safely assume that they do affirm absolute certainty with respect to because that's the whole point of presupposition apologetics. Right, right. It's absolute certainty and knowledge, not probability. If if we were into probability, then there is no use for presuppositional apologetics. But but you see, even the, the Christian worldview provides a basis not only for a sort of epistemic certainty with respect to like knowledge claims. But it also provides a context for the very intelligibility of probability because probability itself presupposes certain certainties that must be true. So you can't escape. <laughs> we could be reasonably so. It's like we can't be certain about this. Why? Well, because this over here. Well, if you're not certain about that, then how can how can this over here make us reasonably certain about this over there? It, it, it just I don't know. It becomes it, a fallacious circle. Right. And an infinite regress of begging the question. Yes, that's all the bottom line. And but and and people think that that is some kind of virtue. It's, that that's, hum, it's I'm, humble. I'm being honest it's, and yeah, humble, humble that I oh I know that I don't know anything for certain. I'm certain that I don't. It just becomes a bunch of babble, and it's like ah no. What did Bonson say to do? What did Van Til, you know, emphasize? Which I, I, I'm I'm starting to get worried a little bit when I'm online. I'm like, where is the pushing of the antithesis here? Mm-hmm. Why are we adopting and affirming catering? We talk about no neutrality, but here we are catering to secular philosophy. Now, of course, we want to learn secular philosophy. Sure. But what did Bonson say? So we can critique it better. <laughs> so we can know how to refute it and understand it, not to adopt it. I look at that the same as I look at pop culture, American Christianity, where it's trying to cater to the culture, you know, instead of, you know, the the, the church and the gospel influencing the culture, we're allowing the culture to influence us, changing our worship services, and we're doing all kinds of stuff because we're trying to appease unbelievers when the church worship is not for unbelievers. It's for believers Mm. to come together 
and worship. You want to do something during the week to evangelize? Great. But when it comes to Sunday and the communion of the saints, the worship service of our Lord and Savior, King Jesus, is for believers to come and worship. Once we start trying to um, change our worship, what we do to cater to unbelievers, we got it all wrong. In the same vein, when it comes to uh, biblical apologetics, Christian philosophy, we need to show them, listen, your wisdom of the world doesn't work. It's no good. It doesn't have Christ in it. Hmm. And matter, as a matter of fact, when you put Christ in it, all your definitions change. See, when you put throw Christ in the mix and his word, now you're talking about true knowledge. You're talking about absolute certainty, absolute truth, and things like that. It boggles my mind sometimes. I'm going to hear Christians rejecting that you can be assured of your salvation. Uh, you can't be, we could, you're maximally certain, but not all the way. So I'm like, so you don't, you're not absolutely certain you're saved. You're not, is Christ even absolutely God mm-hmm. in the flesh? I mean, how far do we take this philosophy from the world and apply it to Christianity? That's the problem is that we're we're afraid of what academia is going to say about us. Who cares what they say? <laughs> That's what the Bible says. Where's the scribe? Where's the wisdom? Where where are you smart guys of the world? Where you at? Cuz I'm about to stomp you with my wisdom. There goes that urban coming out. <laughs> <You know? laughs> So now, right, well, to, to get back to that point of urban context, when I'm dealing with uh, Islam or sure. um, these cults and these mysticism and, uh, you know, the chakra, all these, you know, seven chakras and all these things that are not infiltrating the urban community, I argue transcendentally. I said, okay, great. So what you're saying is that you have true knowledge, wisdom. And all that stuff? Yes. Okay. Can you please then, how does your God or mystic view account for knowledge, the, the real world we live in? And they usually start uh, contradicting themselves, and I stop them, I point it out, and things like that, because you can't, in one sense, say, my religion is the true religion. Then in another thing, in another vein, say, yeah, but we can't really know anything for certain. Right. Knowledge is impossible. Skepticism is honest. And all this stuff. When you're you, we don't live that way. Right. Unbelievers don't live what, uh, that way. Cult members don't live that way. Muslims don't live that way. Buddhists don't live that way. Hinduism doesn't live that way. There is no human being on this planet, unless you're nuts in a, in a nutty home or something, um, doesn't live out what their so-called worldview is. Mm-hmm. And that's what we as, as precepts need to point out is to remove that mask from their face and show them you don't live that way, brother. You say all these things, you know, but... 
you're contradicting yourself and your view is actually self-refuting. Sure. You know, things like that. So we got to take from what the world is trying to take from us, from the Christian worldview, from what the Bible talks about knowledge, wisdom, and truth, take it back from them. So no, this is ours. Why is it ours? Because I am the son of a king. You know, I, I, be, I, am, I am a child of God, Jesus Christ, who alone holds the keys to the treasure of knowledge and wisdom. How? That's where you get into those discussions with them. This is how, you know, and you yeah. show how it is. And, and I, so I approach um, urban apologetics with these false religious occults the same way I do with atheists. Right. You know, because again, I I'm not the I'm not the guy who likes to beat around the bush and start going on little rabbit trails and tangents with people about this verse, that verse, or you know, is Jesus even God and, and sure. is, is God a, a, a she or a he and all this stuff that people want to throw at you at one time. So wait a minute, let's back up. Let's 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 stay basic and foundational. Because you're making a lot of knowledge claims. We have to deal with the philosophy of facts first before That's we continue all these things. Let's kind of got to reel them back in because a lot of these discussions get off track. And sometimes you reel them back in and they get angry about it because they want you to answer. Oh, you don't you don't have a refutation for why Jesus is dark skinned. That, you know, I was like, I, I don't care about that. <laughs> I don't care about your foundation for knowledge and wisdom that only Christ has. Because, see, you're claiming to have something that Jesus has alone. Because Jesus said he alone holds the, the, the keys that are knowledge and wisdom. And you're saying you also have it. So explain to me how it is that you also have it. Mm. But when it comes down to it, you show yourself. And you showed to me that you don't have it. You can't even account for it, which, again, I bring them back to Christ. You see, that's why you need Christ. That's why you need to repent. That's why you need to come to faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, to, you know, to stand as uh, righteous before a holy God. And the only way to do that is to, you know, have the righteousness of Christ imputed to you. So then I get into the into the gospel, you know, the essence of the gospel, you know, and showing them how not only does Christ renew your mind, you know, to think the way he thinks, but he's but the the main point is that you need an advocate. Sure. You're a sinner. And here's the bad news. God is holy and we're not. That, that's the bad news. Oh, here's some more bad news. God demands holiness to enter his presence. You're not. <laughs> I'm not. So how do we get out of this dilemma? Well, that's why God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to, to, to you know, live holy, to fulfill the law for us to fulfill our righteousness, to die 
in our stead, resurrect for our justification so that when we place our faith in him, we have those benefits. Just keep preaching it, bro. I'm going to send the offering plate around to collect. <laughs> we got some ofrenda out here. Let's preach it, bro. Ofrenda, hey. <laughs> I think I heard you say a Spanish word in a long time. Yo entiendo un poquito. Ah, bueno, así es, muchacho. Um, I, I, the, 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 the rub is this, that Christ is our foundation. He's the foundation of our philosophy. He's the foundation of everything that he is the foundation that gives meaning to everything else. And as Christians, we should not be ashamed to start there that right. we should not, we should not be ashamed that the world has this language has the, the, the corner on this specific idea that's popular we stand on the rock of Christ. I just when you were when you were talking a little bit about that before, um, I remembered um, Calvin's words with respect to his um, commentary on First Peter chapter three verse fifteen. And I think Christian apologists should should really listen to this. Um, John Calvin wrote in his commentary. He says contentious disputes arise from the fact that many think less honorably than they ought of the greatness of divine wisdom and are carried away by profane audacity. Okay, I'm going to read that again. I love Calvin, bro. He's yeah, man, he's a beast, bro. Um, contentious disputes arise from the fact that many think less honorably than they ought of the greatness of divine wisdom and are carried away by profane audacity. That is Calvin's commentary on 1 Peter 3.15, our apologetics verse. And he's speaking about believers who think less honorably than they ought of the greatness of divine wisdom. We can be intimidated by the intellectuals of the world, but we should not think less honorably of the greatness of divine wisdom. We should stand with pride on the wisdom of God found in scripture and apply that wisdom in everything that we do, of which apologetics is just one, but it is so powerful in its application that the biblical truth that has not God made foolish, the wisdom of the world, is shown forth when we apply it in a way that is consistent and in a way that's honoring to him. That, that's really the issue here is when we're doing apologetics, whether we're communicating that in an urban context, an academic context or whatever, mm -hmm. are you doing it in a way that is standing upon the firm rock of God's truth? If you think that's, well, you're just being overly pious, fine. I rather my apologetic sound like it's glorifying God than not. We right. just have the extra added benefit that, it's actually biblical and true, but that's you know, that's another issue. So, so the debates go and never ending. Right. Listen, so Ricky, why, uh, why should we be embarrassed to deal with secular atheists? Well, there's only one atheist. You know, what I mean is secular realm atheism. Sure. We're kind of embarrassed to use God's own words. That's right. Think about that second. You're saying, wait a minute, we have to put God's own words. To the side for a minute, because the atheist is not gonna. But he doesn't. I'm trying to prove that that's the God's own word. Right. Why? Why are you doing that? You stand on God's word and you argue from it. You don't argue to it. That's your sword. You just put the sword down. What you gonna do now? You fist fight with the guy who's holding his sword because he's not putting his sword down. That's right. Because you're not being neutral. You've done what he's doing. That's right. My goodness. It's like anyway, when those things start to hit you, like ah, 
Yes, like, they're, little, they're like little hand grenades. They go off at certain times. You'd be driving. You'd be like, oh, snap. That's what he meant. <laughs> All right. I think this is a good time to get to some of the questions. We have sure. some questions. Um, thank you for that, uh, Ricky. This was this was a, a really great discussion here. Um, let's scroll down here. Uh, let me put this up there because I appreciate that. Uh, Jesus name magnified says Eli really enjoy watching the content on your channel. Thank you so much. We're almost at 2000 subscribers. Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate it. And, um, nice. I definitely appreciate, uh, the wonderful comments, uh, that people leave. And, um, if you're enjoying the show, I got, I got to do this. I got to plug it. But if you're enjoying the show and then the podcast, go on to iTunes, write a nice review. Uh, we've got some good reviews up there. I might share them uh, on Facebook at some point so people can see what folks are saying about the content. And I'm just very happy that it's um, that it's blessing people and people are finding it very useful. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, Jesus name magnified. All right, let's Amen, go. Brother. So here's a, a question for me. I'll just answer it quickly. Am I a post-millennialist? Yes, I am a post-millennialist. Next. Me too. <laughs> Keep it straight. Me too. This is urban, urban reformed apologetics. You know, you post-millennialist? Yep. You a Christian? Yep. Show enough. <laughs> huh? What was that? The show enough. That's right. Show enough. Who's the baddest? Jesus. Let me see. What's that? So here we go. So TJ asked the question, is tag more an argument against naturalism that it is an argument for God. Why don't you share your thoughts on that? And um, maybe I'll share my thoughts also, depending on how you answer. Well, yeah, see what, well, basically the question boils down to is, is tag just an internal critique or, and it's not an, an objective positive proof for God. Well, it's both. Right. But ultimately um, the transcendental argument yeah, it destroys naturalism because it, it shows naturalism that it's self-refuting and contradictory and can't account for the preconditions of intelligibility. But because of that, we understand that it is only the God of Scripture that can account for the preconditions of intelligibility. And all that means is the preconditions for knowledge, our, our, the laws of logic, reasoning, our senses, our reliability of our memory, uh, um, uniformity of nature, things like that, can only be accounted for by God. And because of that, naturalism, which doesn't have God, is self-refuting. Basically what it is. I, I would say that the transcendental argument is an argument for the Christian God. And since it's an argument for the Christian God, it negates all forms of non-Christianity. So it's not a simple internal critique, as you said. And the question, is tag more an argument against naturalism than it is against an argument for God? It almost assumes that the argument is just an argument towards atheism. It's not. The common objection that people get, well, how, what do you do when, you, when you're coming in contact with a Mormon? A, a, a most, these aren't questions that like, oh, priest, I never thought about that. I mean, you just listen to Bonson's lectures. He takes his entire lectures just explaining the very thing that people go on other YouTube channels and say, this is, this is the silver bullet. That kills presupposition. What if a Muslim told you the Quran is the necessary? Oh, it's like you just kind of like, oh my gosh, like, bro, do you even Bonson? Like, listen to a lecture, bro, you know? Um, but yeah, it's not an argument simply against naturalism. It is that, but it's also an argument against every non-Christian position. Any ism, any ism that is not Christianity, period. Right. There's That's only right. the Christian worldview and non-Christian worldviews. That's it. 
That's right. Everything falls under the umbrella of non-Christian worldviews. The Christian worldview is true. Every other worldview is false. That's right. And you do that by, you know, and that's true by the impossibility of the contrary. And that gets into a whole bunch of other things that we can do another time. <laughs> it's true even when placed in a hypothetical. If Christianity is true, then by definition, everything that's not Christianity is everything. Hypo all hypotheticals, universes, fake universes, Gotham City worldview, whatever you want to throw out there. That's if right. it's not Christian, it's false. That's right. That's right. That's it. Um, TJ also says, and I, I, it's just a statement, but I, maybe we could address this because I think this is very important. He says, I'd like to be as brave as both of you. Sometimes I'm afraid to even broach the subject. Well, what do you say to that? I, 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 I get what he's saying, but we have to understand that like, you know, we talk about these things at different levels of sophistication, but it's a command. First Peter 315 is a command to all believers. Number one. And number two. It's not an issue of bravery. It's an issue of relying on the resources that God has given us in his word and the resource of the very spirit of God. Apologetics requires not bravery per se, but a trust in God to use the words that you're going to speak to the unbeliever. And so to encourage TJ, don't pray for bravery, pray for God's wisdom, right? And, and the ability to speak God's truth and not worry what people say to you because God, the Bible says his word will not come back void. You speak, you trust in God. It's not an issue of we have more bravery than another person, this, that, or the other thing. What, what do you, what do you, it's application, you know? That's right. Basically, you, you apply what you, you apply your theology, what you, what you understand and believe about God's word to apologetics and philosophy. That's right. The problem today is that people are doing it backwards. They're taking, you know, they're starting with apologetics and philosophy and then trying to stuff that into the scriptures somewhere. No, it's the other way around. You know, the God's revelation informs our apologetics and our Christian philosophy. That's right. Nothing wrong with philosophy. The Bible says what's whack is secular philosophy. That's his. That's the Durag edition. That's that's not that's not a, that wasn't that wasn't a direct quote. But you right. I mean, you right. It's like do not. That's the G J V. Ghetto translation. Right. He said, "Do not seek after whack philosophy, but seek after non whack philosophy. Philosophy after Christ. That's the ghetto version of Colossians. That was a good one, bro. See, that's what we need. That's what we need. The urban folk, bro, to connect." <laughs> Got that do-rag edition, bro. All right. Edition. Uh, so Jesus, name magnified, asked the question, what would you say to someone who isn't willing to try to learn or to take a look at presuppositional apologetics, but would rather stay more on the side of evidential uh, apologetics? So so it's an evidentialist, and they're like, man, I don't want to deal with that presupposition. How would you engage someone saying, hey, you should really take a look at this. There's really something to this. I uh, will say uh, knock yourself out. I See? mean, if, if they're unwilling to even look at it and they want to stay in their bubble of what they already used to, hey, have a nice life, do what you got to do with it and see how it goes for you. Right. But right. I'm not going to leave until I say, but, sir, with all due respect, you're not honoring Christ with mm -hmm. that kind of apologetic. 
That's when they'll say, what do you mean? Oh, see, now we're going to start getting into the discussion about the method and why I believe precept is God honoring. First and foremost, that's the importance of the presuppositional method is number one, first point, it honors our King Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And I think too, I mean, if you're talking about apologetics, I assume your friend is a Christian. And so hopefully he should be interested in whether a person is doing something in a way that is biblical. And so if you do get the person to even just talk a little bit, I think it would make, uh, it would be a, a well worth, uh, it'll be well worth your time to talk about the biblical uh, virtues of the presuppositional method. Just go through the scriptural principles behind it. And if the person's a Christian and wants to really honor Christ, you know, you plant those seeds. Like, well, the Bible says this. And which method do you think is actually consistently applying this biblical truth? You know, mm. you know, what, uh, Peter 3.15, what's it say? To be ready. That's right. Give a reason for the faith that is in you. That's right. And the faith that's in you is Jesus Christ. So you need to be defending Jesus Christ, not a general Messiah or some general deity yeah. using ev the evidential approach to eventually get your buddy to or whoever you're talking to to believe in some higher power. Nobody cares about a higher power. Higher powers send you to hell. Sure. General deities are all over the world. They send you to hell. Only Jesus Christ can save you. And save right. your reasoning. Save your thinking process. Save your heart, your soul. And you got to tell your friend, without you know, all jokes aside, is asking why? Why do you? Why not? Why don't you want to look at it? And and depending on what they say, you reel them in into a discussion, and hopefully they'll go research. You did a good way. The way you reeled in, you were like, well, if you're gonna do that, but if you're going to do that approach, you're not honoring God, man. You just walk away. Wait, 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 wait. What do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? Ah, now you want to talk, right? <laughs> Let's make some Bustelo and we sit down and we talk, bro, right? They don't know about that stuff. Yeah. Hey, I just had some before I got on. I needed it. <laughs> bro, I have Folgers, bro. Ever since I got married, Folgers. my wife, she's a, my wife's amazing. We're, you know, very American family. Once I moved out of the house, no more Bustelo, bro. And when I smell it, yeah. now, it reminds me of my childhood. No more arroz con habichuela, chuletas, and nothing like that. Let me get it twisted, though. My wife can cook, though. Oh, yeah. It's just, you know, she don't cook those things I, I, I used to eat when I was a kid. <laughs> let's not let's not get this conversation off track, all right? Let's go to the next. Uh, I don't have that problem. If, <laughs> no, my wife's awesome. Uh, if the atheistic worldview is shown to be fallacious, why assume the unbeliever's worldview to try to prove the Christian worldview. What do you think? That's a statement trying to show the absurdity of assuming kind of a, neut a neutral and autonomous approach? Or what do you think this person's coming from? I'm not sure what. If the atheistic uh, worldview is shown to be fallacious, okay. why assume the unbeliever's worldview to try? Okay. Oh, you yeah. mean assuming the unbeliever's worldview to do an eternal critique? Yeah. If, that's, if that's what he's getting at, that that's but that's how you're showing the unbelieving worldview to be fallacious, right? Is by you know, um, taking what they believe and doing an internal critique of their worldview and showing them that a Christless worldview is bankrupt, okay? Yeah. 
Now watch Essentially, we're not we're not trying to prove the Christian worldview. Mm -hmm. We're trying to say without the Christian worldview, you can't prove anything. But that's a proof in itself. That's a proof in itself. Yeah. Right. Um, which is more to me is more of a confirmation of that truth that we mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I say a proof because uh, because well, Bonson gives the transcendental proof. Right. So a lot of people think, well, it's not just an argument. It's just a faith commitment. And then you're just trying to critique the other perspective. And then they'll, they'll bring the valid point that critiquing other perspectives doesn't validate your own, uh, which is true. And right. the presuppositional is. approach is not simply seeking to critique others, right? right? And that's the mistake people think. People think that tag is just a bunch of internal critiques of other worldviews. Mm -hmm. No. It's a positive argument that only the Christian worldview can account for the world we live in. That's right. Therefore, all other worldviews that does not have the God of scriptures right. cannot account for the world we live in. Right. So it's all meshed together. Now, the internal critique comes as a partial demonstration. So when someone says, you know, the Christian worldview provides the only, it's only the Christian worldview provides the necessary preconditions for knowledge. The person says, nah, that's ridiculous. And then the internal critique is done to show no, this is why I'm saying that. Look, here's your worldview, and it can't provide for it. And then here's my worldview. Here's how it can. You don't have to agree with my worldview, but it provides it provides the conditions for these things. Right, and you can reject the Bible and my starting point of God's revelation or the God of Scripture, how we, however you want to phrase it, but it just renders your view absurd. Right, that's right. the point. You can reject it all you want. Now check this one out. Right you here. have to do an internal critique of my view of mm -hmm. the Christian worldview, not one that you make up all your own in your head. And that's a problem. A lot of atheists that they, they jump to conclusions of what they think the Christian worldview teaches. Sure. And they, they start doing a critique and be like, wait a minute. That's not what I believe. You need to critique what I believe. Right. And once you start to get a person who understands that concept, like I have a few times with a few atheists, who have degrees in philosophy that, well, um, that's not fair because you have a tight network view that accounts for it. But they also say, but you're making that up as you go. So mm -hmm. no, I'm not making that up as I go to, to fill in the gaps of where it's weak and necessary to be. That's what the Bible says. And what right. you're saying is that the Bible is irrefutable. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Repent. This one's a fun one. Ready? If a person does not hold to scripture, but claims to be a Christian, <laughs> mm -hmm. there's a problem with that right away. How oh, would you man. use a presuppositional approach with them? Okay. Same if way. you are a Christian, that would require you to have a Christian worldview. Now, a Christian worldview is derived from God's revelation. And God's revelation is the scripture <laughs> so you can't really do that well, well yeah that's you ask them a series of questions right right to get to that point i say okay you're a christian so based on what authoritative standard do you have to claim you're a christian right how do you know you're a christian what is a christian based on what yeah well i believe in christ where do you learn about christ oh the scriptures oh okay but you don't hold to the scriptures. So if you don't hold to the scriptures, you don't hold to the <laughs> um, and, and again, what you just did right there is a, a do-rag edition of a transcendental critique. <laughs> it basically, right? You just in basic is like, what's a Christian? 
It's like you you now assume their definition of a Christian without scripture. If you want to know, if you want to have Christianity without scripture, let's hypothetically grant the fool's position. Okay. Well, what's a Christian without the Bible? How do we even define that? Right? Um, and so that would that's how you would apply a presuppositional approach. Hypothetically grant the truth of what they're saying and show its absurdity. Right. And if they say, well, what I believe is my opinion of a Christian is that, wait a minute, now you're you're bringing in your own subjective definition, the one that you have no authority or standard to even make. And right. what you're saying is that you are your standard. You are self-authoritative, which you can't even make because you're finite. And your whole entire view then because of that is self-refuting and fallacious. Right. Very good. Arno uh, also asked, do you begin with the presuppositional approach right away or do you begin with proclaiming the gospel and then transition? There's a problem with this question. Perhaps you can unpack it and then I'll kind of add on if, if there's anything that I could add on to that. Well, for me, um, and I believe for Bonson, for Van Til, because of their emphasis of the apologetics coming from a consistent reformed theological worldview is that presuppositional approach already uh, uh, assumes the gospel within it because that's the point. And um, I don't necessarily think you got to just jump in right into the conversation and say, uh, let's say you're watching a conversation with your friend, an atheist, and they're making points um, sure, you jump in there and you explain, you know, you get into the discussion with you be transcendental and, and um, show them that their view is self-refuting, but you also want to proclaim the gospel in there. Yeah, but you're, you're, you're intermingling all that within your approach, within your apologetics, your, because again, you have to reference Christ in your approach in the first place because he is the one that holds the keys to knowledge and wisdom right mm. so i think i think what he's trying to ask is do before i start a conversation with atheists do i just present the gospel first tell him he needs jesus repent then destroy his worldview <laughs> which is fine hey if you want to do that do it you know but the gospel is intrinsically uh, tied in to the presupposition approach. So when you're using the presupposition approach, I think by definition and application, you are preaching the gospel. Yeah, and I, I would agree with that. I think, um, I guess I would reject the notion of transition between gospel and presuppositional approach. I would say that everything we do is presuppositional. So like when you proclaim the gospel, what are you, what are you presupposing? Well, you're presupposing the truth of scripture. Right. right. It's just a matter of emphasis. When the person gets pushed back, now you're just bringing out the, uh, you're applying uh, the truth of scripture to the specific objection, right? So everything we do is presuppositional because everything we do is submitted under the, the authority and lordship of Christ. Which brings me to another point. Your relationships are presuppositional. Right. Everything is presuppositional in that sense. Right. So uh, a lot of mistake people make, and it's easy to make, you know, but I like to um, remind people that presuppositionalism or transcendental 
the Christian trends. And I'm not, when I say transcendentalism, I'm not even talking about regular transcendentals of Kant and, you know, and, and Strahd and all these people are trying to refute. I'm talking about the Christian transcendental that is not just some, presuppositionalism is not just a method of apologetics, but it's also a principle. Mm. It's a principle, it's, it's a truth principle that we're using in our method. Yeah, it's called presuppositional method, the transcendental argument. So yes, it's an argument. Yes, it's a method. But but don't miss the point is that the transcendental argument and the presuppositional method is a principle that we use when we're arguing. It's a principle of a belief system from scripture that we're using when we're doing our discussions and when we're using an argument or the method. So it's more of a principle. You know, I, 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 that to me, that hit me when I, when I read what Bonston said about syllogisms. Mm. Okay, when he said that, you know, the uh, paraphrasing the transcendental argument is not uh, preceded by these things, syllogisms and, and, and arguments. It's the very necessary principle to truth that makes these things possible. Right. So again, it's so what he's saying is, listen, the transcendental argument is not just an argument. It's a principle that without it, you can't have these other things. That's right. Right. Very good. Protestant warrior asks the question. You could tackle this one because I know you heard this a thousand times. Uh, the difference between <laughs> evidentialism and presuppositionalism and the use of presuppositions and the use of evidence. Why can't you mesh evidential and presupp together? What does that question assume incorrectly, uh, you think? Yeah, so that question, um, and this is not the, this is no disrespect to the, sure, sure, sure. the question, you know, obviously. It's a good it's question. A, it's a common objection. It's a common misunderstanding that presuppositional apologetics rejects evidences right no we can't use evidences just presuppositions and 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 feedism no that's that's not the case um we can use uh, evidence within like i just said the presuppositional principle right we use the principle of the presuppositional principle the transcendental principle but then we can use evidences using that framework Okay, so the, the but the difference is in starting points, and there's a different principle in evidentialism and classical apologetics where they say our ultimate starting point for knowledge is ourself, right? Or the evidentialists will go far as to say, well, the starting point is evidences to conclude to God, right? So, but the two principles are different because the presuppositional approach, the principle is starting with the God of scripture and we argue from the God of scripture where evidentialism in the classical approach principle is starting with self, reason, logic to eventually get to the God of scripture. So that the classical approach argues to God, or to a, uh, to be honest, it argues for 
a general God, then to get to the God of Scripture. Evidentialism starts with evidences to get to the God of Scripture, or even uses evidence from Scripture, sure. which is, okay, I'm with that. But the problem is, is they're still starting with self and to evaluate the evidence to come to a conclusion. The presuppositionalist is saying, wait a minute. The way we're supposed to do it is that we already are starting with the God of Scripture and we're arguing from his truth and his principles because without him, we can't have evidences. That's right. Well, we can't account for evidences. We can't justify argumentation and syllogisms and proofs and all that stuff. Right. And 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 you can't mesh evidentialism and presuppositionalism because they're two completely different methods, mm -hmm. different frameworks. So right. you got to be very careful to make a distinction between the utilization of presuppositions and presuppositionalism as a method or the difference between evidentialism as a method and the use of evidences. This is, this is even, uh, this mistake is even made with people who should know better. I had, um, Dr. Hugh Ross on, um, a couple of times. And when I had him on, um, discussing some issues of creation with Dr. Lyle, he made a passing comment that he uses both presuppositional apologetics and evidential apologetics. Um, they you can't do that. You could appeal to presuppositions, but that's not presuppositionalism. Because we don't have the same starting point. Right. And you know why that is? Because it brings us back to the point is that people mistakenly, that's what's unique about presupposition apologetics and the transcendental argument is, again, the emphasis is it's not just an argument. It's not just some argument that I can put here with my, with my classical arguments and throw it in my pocket and then bring it out when I want to. That's why I emphasize that it's a principle. And the principle is that what you have to start with God. Here's, here's, let me simplify it. Starting point, self, starting point, God. It bump heads. They, you can't mix that. It's either, what uh, Van Til said, it's either theonomy or autonomy. And what he means is either God or you, and we already know that we are finite beings. So you can't have both starting points and principles because right. they clash. One is saying God, the other one's saying is me. Can't have that. But in the God side, it's you who are starting with God. <laughs> so right. we get it. We don't start with God in some abstract, like, no, I'm the one who chooses to function and be aware of the context of revelation that I start with. Right. Right. And that's, that's, that's such a, a vital, right. vital. That will bring us to the, to the distinctions of the proximate, proximate ultimate starting points. That's right. Um, Scott Terry asked the question, what's the difference between Cartesian certainty and regular certainty? Uh, did you want to take a stab at that? You want me to grab that one? What, what do you, what do you want? You yeah. Uh, Cartesian certainty, obviously Cartesian is related to Rene Descartes, which was, he was, a really a famous rationalist philosopher. Um, Cartesian certainty speaks of the sort of certainty that you cannot be wrong about that, which you're certain. Some philosophers today will make a distinction between, and I think an appropriate distinction between what is called psychological certainty and epistemic certainty. So one can be psychologically certain 
about something, but that doesn't give you knowledge because I can be psychologically certain that my wife is alone sleeping in the bed right now. But for all I know, she could be cheating on me. Now she would never do that, but you see what I'm saying? <laughs> it could be wrong. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Epistemic certainty deals with the sort of certainty that I cannot be wrong about it. Now, when you deal with the certainty within the context of Vantillian presuppositionalism versus the sort of certainty that yeah. you're dealing with, with Rene Descartes, Rene Descartes' philosophy was at base autonomous. And so I would argue that he can't even be certain of what we call the local transcendental argument that he's giving, namely, cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am, I'm certain of my own existence. That's true. It is a sort of transcendental argument by the impossibility of the contrary. I must exist in order to deny my own existence. But what unbelieving philosophers have pointed out, that you can't even know what the I in the I think, therefore I am, uh, I am is. What is the I? What does it mean to say I? Identity and the meaningfulness of one's identity is dependent upon its role and relation to a broader metaphysical context that gives meaning to the individual fact of the I. And as Christians, the I, what it means to exist, only has meaning in light of the context of God's revelation and understanding my existence, the I, as being an image bearer of God that is individuated from the creator. You have that creator-creature distinction that we make so vitally important. So I would say that the, the distinction is, con I'm sorry, uh, Rene Descartes started with autonomy and Van Til agrees with a Ren uh, Descartes' uh, argument in principle, but that you need the Christian worldview as the context to even make sense out of the eye. And that's the same thing with Immanuel Kant. Immanuel Kant believed in transcendental arguments. Van Til used transcendental argument. What's the difference? Is that Kant started with man, autonomy, and tried to argue transcendentally, and that's why it doesn't work. Van right. Til, and biblically speaking, we start with God, and the transcendental argument is immune to the critiques that uh, one can posit against, say, a Kantian transcendental argument. I hope that makes sense. Okay, let's see here. Uh, someone says, <laughs> my man Ricky is a top-notch thinker with a little bit of Latin king in him. <laughs> nice. I love it. Hey, shh. nobody's supposed to know all that. That's right. That's right. Uh, okay, we got a couple of questions. How are you doing? Are you okay for a couple more? Uh, I'll, I'll be here all night, brother. <laughs> all right, good, good. Let's see here. We got to move down just a little bit. All right, real quick before I um, put this next one up, I just want to let you know, uh, let you guys know if you haven't subscribed to the Revealed Apologetics YouTube channel, like just subscribe, just like put your thing in this click, 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 like that helps me out. Okay. And the podcast as well. And the reformed urban pod. You need, you need your steady diet of presuppositional apologetics and biblical uh, defense of the faith. Look for resources. Ricky's got great podcasts. I take these videos and make them into podcasts and, uh, you know, be edified. All right. All right. So Jesus name magnified, uh, ask the question, what are your thoughts on RC Sproul's criticisms? of how we can't have philosophical certainty? Well, I'm not sure that, um, that he would even say that. Mm -hmm. you know, because, um, again, I get a lot of my theology from Dr. Spro, mm -hmm. and he's one of the, the theologians where I've understood that we can have absolute certainty. A matter of fact, he would uh, denounce Someone any 
Someone yeah. says right there, I think he actually argued that we could have deductive certainty. So he did affirm yeah. some sort of certainty. He affirmed certainty, but uh, only within, and that's the thing about Spro that we can have certainty because this is God's created world and he created us to have a, a reason. To, he would say, you know, he, he created us to reason, to, to be logical because we're created in God's image. And we can have certainty because the Bible says we can have certainty. And that's part of Reformed theology. Reformed theology teaches that we can have absolute certainty, absolute truth. Because one of the pillars of our faith is the assurance of faith. It's in the Westminster Confession of Faith that, and in the, in the London Confession, shout out to my Reformed Baptist brothers. Uh, <laughs> So, <laughs> you know, we agree with that. So uh, sometimes I'm baffled by people who are well um, bred in Reformed theology and to deny certainty. Sure. I kind of remind them, wait a minute, you know, part, you know, Reformed theology uh, affirms absolute certainty, especially when it comes to uh, biblical doctrines. We can be absolutely sure of the teachings of scripture. Amen. Now this next question is from my aunt. Okay. Hi, Titiana. How are you? <laughs> okay. She says, is reading the Quran wrong? And uh, I'll, I'll take that one if it's okay. It's not wrong, but it is false. So the Quran, you believe the Quran, that'll send you straight to hell. The Quran has a false Christ. It denies that Jesus is God in human flesh. It denies that uh, the Quran denies that Jesus died on the cross. Okay, so the Quran teaches antichrist teaching. It will honor Jesus on a surface level. He's a great prophet, but the Bible does not teach that he's that Jesus is a great prophet. It teaches that he is a great prophet and he is more than a prophet. So the Quran is all that the Quran is good for is educational purposes, knowing what Muslims believe so that we can share the truth about Jesus uh, to the Muslim. So it's not wrong to read the Quran, but I'll tell you, the Quran is false. And you shouldn't read the Quran, if you're a Christian, without first reading the Bible. Because in order to understand and identify error, you need to be familiar and grounded with the truth. Okay? So my advice to you, Titi, is to ground yourself in Scripture, the Bible. And when that is seeped into your heart and you have a strong foundation in Jesus Christ— then you read other things with caution. You read so that you're able to share the faith of Jesus with others. That, that's how I would say. Uh, yeah. I would. So I, I will say like, you know, basically I think what you're saying, is it depends why you're reading the Quran. It's a matter of the, most of what we do is a matter of the heart, right? So the Bible uh, makes that distinction. Um, if you're reading the Quran to understand it, to critique it, okay, but make sure, like like Eli said, that you have a foundation in the basics of Christianity first, so that when you read the Quran, you don't become all confused mm -hmm. and things like that. So, like I said, get grounded in the Bible first, and if you want to read the Quran to understand what they believe, so you can better be. I read the I read the Quran. Mm -hmm. You know, I know plenty of verses that I throw out at Muslims to to show that it's contradictory and self-refuting. And um, for example, in the part where 
you ask the Muslim, um, does God, the Quran teaches that, and Islam teaches that God does not share his holy attributes with man. That no, no, he's he is above and beyond. He's totally transcendent. He doesn't he doesn't share his qualities with man. But then you got a story of Jesus, where Jesus takes mud, forms it, blows life into a, and makes a bird, and the bird flies away. <laughs> so wait, wait a minute. There's a contradiction that he just created life. And I, when I use that on them, they go, oh, well, I'm going to get back to you on that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they never come back to me on that. I mean, it's real simple. That's just one example. But, you know, because right. I read the Quran for um, internal critique purposes. But then again, I read the Quran years after I was a Christian. Okay. All right. Thank you for that. Uh, Bible, you know. Arturo uh, Hurtado says, isn't it easier? and more effective to argue against someone's interpretation of a fact, archeological digs, scientific discoveries, et cetera, than trying to go down the philosophical route of presuppositionalism. Again, there is something wrong in the question, a wrong, an incorrect assumption, but it's a question. So why don't you address that, Ricky? And maybe I'll give my two cents. Yeah, well, um, the problem is that you're already assuming the validity of facts in the first place when you're just arguing fact versus fact, because the unbeliever is going to interpret those facts in his unbelieving uh, nature, in his way. The, the unbeliever is going to interpret those same facts in a Christian way. Right. So you got to get to the foundation of the philosophy of facts. Sure. Right. But you can do that without getting very philosophical in your jargon. You just have to ask them, how does he even account for the reality and validity of facts in the first place? Right. And things like that. Because, again, you can argue facts of archaeology, scientific discoveries, fossils, uh, solar systems, the sun, the earth is perfectly aligned, you know, between the sun and the moon and where living organisms can, can survive and all these things. But they're always going to interpret it in their naturalistic, unbelieving, materialistic way mm -hmm. and have always, they always have an escape hatch, an escape route when you're arguing mere facts. Right. But so you have to get down to the foundation of their presuppositions, you know? Yeah. And, it, it, and almost like the question here sounds like, isn't it easier to be ineffective to argue against someone, someone's interpretation of the fact that just is presuppositional application. You're basically asking, wouldn't it be easier to do presuppositional apologetics on them than to do presupposition? Cause what's the presuppositionalist doing? It's arguing them over the interpretation of facts, right? right. And it's the issue, can we interpret facts independent of considering God as the foundation of those facts, right? So, so yeah, the very fact that you are talking about interpretation of fact, you're already going down a philosophical route because the interpretation of fact is philosophy. It's basically discussing one's philosophy of facts, okay? Right. All right, next question here. Scott asks, should Eli grow a beard like Ricky's? Absolutely not. I have alopecia. 
So I have spots. So if my beard grows, they're like bald spots. It doesn't grow in as cool as one might think. Okay. That's uh, not of God. All right. Let's see here. Oh, you, you just look like a cheetah. Facts, bro. It wouldn't look good, man. Okay. Here's a question uh, by a person. Some person asked the question. Uh, do you think it's okay for ladies to engage in apologetics in the community? Not as a church leader, but a regular person in daily life interactions with unbelievers. Go for that, Ricky. That's that's taking it to the streets. That's that's actually a good question for the context. Uh, oh well, yeah. Uh, they're Christians. They are also commanded to give a reason for the faith that's in them. That's right. It doesn't say, "Hey, men, men only give a reason for the faith that's in them." It's anybody who has faith, man or woman, uh, can engage in apologetics. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. I mean. I'm a Reformed Presbyterian, so within the church worship context, no, but out in the street, daily life, at work, online, sure. That's right. Go for it. I think it's catching this catching on here. Uh, whack versus non-whack philosophy. <laughs> you should write a book, Urban Reformed Apologetics. Whack versus <laughs> non-whack philosophy. <laughs> Bogus, mm. bogus versus non-bogus. Okay, the basted versus wasted. Like it just keeps going. There we go. All right, let's see here. Uh, okay, uh, Slam RN says even Jesus was an evidentialist at times, didn't he? Say even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Is that an example, Ricky, of evidentialism? No. No, because um, again, that's actually a presuppositional verse, since uh, Christ is already, as a human, presupposing the authority and divinity, right, of Himself, the truth of that. That's right. And I believe that what He's saying that these things confirm who I am. By what? That's the thing. Right. By my by, what I'm doing. This is confirming the already truth. There we go. That I am sent by the Father. He's speaking to people who already have a scriptural context so that his actions confirm what you should believe as covenant people, which mm -hmm. is given to us by the authority of God, the Old Testament. So that's not, uh, hey, if you don't believe what I say, then come to my acts, what I'm doing, completely autonomous and neutral. That's not what he's saying, right? He says, sanctify them in your in, in truth. Your word is true, right? right. Um, so that's definitely not a um, an evidential. Saying, well, let's, us okay, guys, let's assume that I'm not from the Father. Now, look at my works, what I'm doing. Now let's gather all the information and let's conclude now that I am from the Father using right. my works. No, he said, I come from the Father. That's the truth. And my works prove that. That's right. That's, that's all right. that is. But that's not, ev remember, evidence is not evidentialism. There we go. That evidentialism has a principle. Classical apologetics that uses uh, evidential argumentations of different kinds, those, it's a principle. The bottom line is our starting point, our epistemic starting point. And all that means is, how do we know what we know? That's right. 
Because the Bible is concerned about knowledge and wisdom, and it belongs to God. And that's what the world is trying to take away. That's right. Dennis said, just as you were saying that, he's using evidence does not equal evidentialism. That uh, Yes and amen. That's right. That's very good. All right. Let's see. We're almost finished here. We're getting towards the... Uh, Let's see here. You really disagree. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, I think that, that was it. Okay, very good. That was that was great. I think you did an excellent job. This was very, very um, engaging, and I think people are going to find it very useful. So um, thank you so much for coming on, man. Hey, man, it was a pleasure and honor for me to be on Revealed Apologetics with Eli Yala. Well, it's an honor and a pleasure to have you on because I uh, you've been helpful in many ways. I don't I know I don't interact a lot on the Facebook page as I usually don't have time. But when I'm holding a baby and I'm just chilling on the couch, I'm scrolling through and I'm I'm learning from the interactions and things like that. So I'm very encouraged and um, and being educated daily. So I appreciate it. If I could plug my podcast. Absolutely. Uh, subscribe uh, to the Urban Reform podcast uh, coming up in the next few weeks. I'll be doing an entire series on uh, systematic theology nice. in an urban context. Nice. Yeah. And Ricky's podcast, I don't know if you still do it, but I mean, I, I'm just either, I either have an interview or I'm talking about myself or I'm critiquing. I mean, Ricky's got some music in the background. You know, you could just be listening. He's just like, hmm. He just, <laughs> yeah, he's got that. I, can't, I don't even know how to do I don't even know how to add music to my videos, bro. You <laughs> listen to Ricky. If you, if, even if you disagree with everything he says, you got I have a friend that helps me with that. Trust me. <laughs> uh, oh, real quick. I watched, uh, Slam RN says, to be fair, I did not say evidentialism. Fair enough. Thank you very much yeah. for clarifying that. I want to make sure we, we get that on there and uh, right, right. represent anyone. Thank you for that clarification. Um, so, so definitely, guys, uh, subscribe to the Urban Reform Podcast. Check out uh, Ricky's podcast. He's got some great teaching there. Um, and just grounded in scripture. You don't feel like you're getting lost in philosophy all the time. I mean, uh, those things are important, but I like how you ground things in the word of God and you bring things back to the gospel. Uh, you place the gospel front and center. And I think that's that's very important when we're doing apologetics. All right. right. Well, thank you so much. Um, once again, guys, subscribe if you haven't and leave comments. And if I have a chance, I'll, I'll try to get to them. If you have a question from me, you can email, email me at revealedapologetics at gmail.com. And if you're interested in learning presuppositional apologetics in a more formal way, um, you can check out revealedapologetics.com and sign up for PresupU, which is an online course that I teach. Um, there's two versions of it. One, involves a personal interaction weekly on a Zoom meeting. I'm not doing that now. We finished our first session, but you can download, I'm sorry, you can sign up for all the lectures, receive the PowerPoints and the and the, and the, the notes and things like that. You can sign up and receive that um, now. There's no time limit for that. And you work it through the course at your own pace. If you're interested in that, definitely sign up. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much, Ricky. This was a blessing and a pleasure and uh, looking forward to hopefully having you on again in the future. Yes, sir. All right. Take, take care and God bless. Thank you so much, guys, for listening. All right. Thank you for listening to Revealed Apologetics. If you have any questions or ideas that you'd like me to cover in an episode or perhaps in a blog article on my website, uh, you can reach out to me at revealedapologetics at gmail.com. You can check out the blog at revealedapologetics.com. That's the website. And there 
is also um, a menu there where you can choose to sign up for Presup U, which is an online course that I teach that teaches presuppositional apologetics. So you can check that out at revealedapologetics.com. If you have questions, revealedapologetics at gmail.com. And you can subscribe to the YouTube channel if you have not already. Also, I would greatly appreciate if you are really finding the content useful that you leave a positive comment uh, in iTunes. That definitely helps and it's greatly appreciated. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and God bless.